Welcome to Emotional Resilience in the Pandemic. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us in this really rich conversation we're about to have. These are very intense times and we're all feeling that in some way or another. And even while listening to this podcast, you might be experiencing an array of feelings. Uh, you may be flooded or you may be feeling neutral or even shut down and somewhat numb or perhaps you're experiencing something of a unique cocktail with ingredients from all of these states, we invite you to come to this as you are. Many of us seem to be going in and out of so many states of mind and body. And for many of us, it often feels like a roller coaster um, or, a, or a marathon, but no particular end in sight. We don't have a lot of direct experience to draw on. And our old normalcy has been severely challenged and in some ways lost. The future is unknown. We know that. However, one thing is for certain. We are resilient and adaptive as human beings. And we are figuring this out as we go along. We'll continue to come together and share with each other knowledge, not only about how to survive, but even to allow the intense energy of this time to transform us in growthful, interesting, and probably pretty unexpected ways. In this podcast, our goal is to bring you ideas and practices to help you through this time with the goal of emerging even more whole. We can do this. In order to accomplish this, we need to tend to ourselves and others and that begins with deep and meaningful care of ourselves, care rooted in fuller understandings of how our emotions work and how our nervous systems are wired. We hope this series offers you some help. We're bringing you the most current understandings of interpersonal neurobiology, trauma, the mind-body connection, the transmission of intergenerational trauma, the neuroscience of resilience, eco-psychology, intersectionality, many things we didn't understand scientifically even 10 years ago. Into this soup, we'll also add other ingredients, the science of breath, of yoga, of mindfulness, psychoanalysis, and Buddhist psychology, the psychology of collective action and social justice and more. We believe that insights and practices from these fields can help us meet this occasion in history. This occasion is, we believe, requiring a transformation of consciousness at a collective level. By absorbing and integrating current science and ancient knowledge, we can create the internal conditions that are necessary to make this shift in consciousness. And we can meet this important moment in history in a manner that helps us to survive and thrive. I am Deborah Pardes, your host, and I am joined with Dr. Karen Post and Dr. Perrin Elisha. And together, we are going to navigate all of these things that I just spoke about. And let me just say hi to both of you and just do the mic check and say hello. How are you guys doing? Hi, Deb. Thank you. 
I'm doing good. Hi, Deborah. So that voice was just Karen Post. And uh, Perrin, give us your voice again. Did you hear me? Can you hear yeah. me still? Okay. Yeah, I, just, I just want people to get used to your voices. I think it's super exciting that we have two people who have deep love and respect for each other. And together, they're going to twirl around this, these topics and sort of intermingle their wisdoms. And together, we are so lucky to have both of these voices uh, in this conversation. So I, I want to start out with a question that is, is general, but I want your impressions of what is going on. These are unprecedented times. Everyone's talking about that. Um, and they're extraordinary and they're deeply disturbing. And I want to know in your practices and your lives in general, um, but specifically in your practices, what are you noticing and how are these times truly impacting people? So I'd love to start off with with Perrin to really drop us into the, the language of uncertainty. What, is, what does it even mean? And what are you feeling around that? And what's going on uh, from your perspective? Yeah. Well, to me, this is really the hallmark of this time, just unprecedented uncertainty. Um, everything we have depended on and come to, to rely on as normal has shifted. And people in my practice, some ripple effect of these changes to our normal seats. It's different for everyone, but the one commonality we're all facing is a, is a grievance of, of what we assumed was normal and a complete uncertainty about how this unfolds, what comes next, what tomorrow holds, and every level of our lives, whether that's financial, relational, academic, medically, um, developmentally. Um, and uncertainties. Um, a very unique thing, I think, psychologically, our, our ego personalities don't like it. We like things that are dependable and predictable, and we, we build our minds in a way that, that try to predict and rely on certainty. And, and on the other hand, being able to hold uncertainty is a huge emotional uh, muscle that really serves us well. Um, so there's this practice that, that's sort of being forced on us to be able to live with uncertainty. And I, I see people responding to that, of course, in a variety of ways. <clears throat> um, but I do see a lot of people really being able to, out of necessity, embrace it and find um, some flexibility, uh, some surrender, some letting go, um, collaboration with others because everybody is going through this uncertainty together. And one of the silver linings of this uh, is a space in which people are reflecting. Um, that's kind of the second thing I think we, we all feel we're noticing in this field is um, there is, of course, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but we'll talk about the traumatic pieces that can come up and be reenacted and you know some things that become more difficult. But but I really find some people are doing some amazing pieces of work um, because there's more there's more space. Um, this is changing a bit now as people are starting to go back to some of their normal activities. But the period of time in which people were really forced to sit still, essentially, um, I think there's a lot of reflection, a lot of surrender. That is, although it's challenging to the psychology of the person, it's also really good medicine for the personality in the bigger picture. It can taste bitter uh, at first, but it's pretty potent medicine if you can integrate it. 
Perrin, I, I, I hear you when you talk about uh, people rising to the occasion in the uncertainty. Can you give me a clear moment of time when you, you, you were a beholder of this particular behavior that someone rose to the occasion? You mentioned something about being, you, were you referring to being artistic or what were you referring to when you were talking about that? You know, when, when our lives pre-pandemic, they were so packed and more packed and more packed. I think everybody I know personally and professionally was feeling that more packed and more packed. And so there's this way of going through the day that was about, you know, controlling the, the time and fitting everything in and being right on schedule. And, and so I think the first shift that I noticed personally, and I, I just, you know, in the neighborhood and in the field and everybody I talked to was this, um, you know, first when, when it was, we were told we couldn't do all the things we're used to doing, there was this resistance, you know, you know, it can't be, and people were upset and angry, and, and then it was just like, you know, there's a softening, um, sort of giving in to this, this is this moment, and, and that was, I think everybody sort of felt there's this, there's these waves of, I, I love some of these, um, co comedians grasp this moment of, you know, one minute you're telling the kids they're on a diet and everybody's going to get healthy and the next minute it's like cheetahs for breakfast and you're crying one minute and laughing another and having a vodka and then you're going sober. And, you know, <laughs> there was this huge tumultuous struggle and these, um, and then there was this sort of softening into, okay, here we are and this is a different moment and, and each in our own way. It's just showing up from a different place. It's that was softer. That was more much surrender is the word that just keeps coming to mind. And that surrender and the letting go, clinically speaking, did help some people um, uh, kind of shift to a bigger perspective about some of the things we try to control in our lives. So um, I'm seeing, you know, originally this resistance that was painful and tumultuous and and funny in retrospect and and then a softening a surrender letting go some letting go of control and the need to try to fit everything in and do everything and uh and you know softening of some of the control driven behaviors that, that we deal with clinically karen are you resonating with this uh to the extent that she's kind of um talking about what she's seeing yeah very very much so and i i love the way uh, Perrin put the idea of softening and a kind of surrendering. Um, I do think we all know, we all can identify with how much uh, as human beings we really loathe uncertainty and how difficult it is to bear. And I, I think one of the interesting things about these times, quote unquote, uh, is we cannot, we can no longer escape the profound uncertainty which, that is always there. It's always there in our lives. We just don't always get to see it so much. We have certain things that ground us, certain things that are more predictable. And with the, the loss of so many of those signposts and things uh, to ground us, we are all faced with this fundamental uncertainty. And I, I do agree that I am uh, seeing uh, kind of the potency of the uncertainty being a a catalyst or uh, a stimulus to help people surrender instead of resisting uncertainty or, or lean into it a little more because there's not much else to do, you know. Uh, resisting it is no longer so much of an option. Uh, so, so, so I see that and I 
I see some good things happening uh, as a result because then we have kind of, we can become more free instead of struggling against this fundamental ambiguity or you know, uncertainty that's part of life. We, we can stop struggling a little more. Aaron, you mentioned uh, the waves of emotion, the waves of behaviors going back and forth, this manic idea. Uh, Karen, do you see the same sort of uh, waves? And, and is there a positivity towards the waves? Is it natural to swing, to have a pendulous response? One day I'm binging, the next day I'm, I'm, I'm not. Like, how, how does that figure into uh, your, your, your perspective? So you're asking about what's going on in terms of people really... Um, having great fluctuations in their states of mind. And how natural is it and how okay is it? Or, or is sure. that something we should control and say, guys, don't go so crazy back and forth? Well, great question. And um, yes, I, I don't think it's something we, we should control, mostly because we can't control it. I think we can um, develop a better relationship with our states and be able to tolerate those swings. I, I think, yes, we wanna be able to ride those waves, but the waves can be pretty intense during these times and that is hard. So that is some of the information and knowledge we want to help people with, and that is how to uh, stay more grounded or how to stay present, more present and grounded when you're riding the waves and how to not let the waves completely flood you. Does that speak to what you yeah. were saying? Pa Perrin, you were gonna say something in response yeah. to, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's related, as Karen, as you were talking earlier, you know, one of the ways to describe that shift that you're talking about, um, when, when we were so busy and we were running around managing our lives, we were very externally focused and that, um, that when everything stopped, it sort of, it, it, it turned our attention inwards and part of what, Karen's kind of getting at, I think, is that when when we're able to turn our attention inwards and we have the the skill and the the language and the relational support to do that, um, we develop a lot of skills that are good for us at any time in our lives, but it gives us a balance to ride these waves. That's this healthier relationship to it, these words of mindfulness is sort of that the epitome of that attitude that but the ability to turn our attention from everything going on outward and trying to control it, letting go of that and, and turning a, you know, friendly understanding eye towards these waves and absolutely agree with that. We don't control them, but as we tend to them and relate to them in a friendly manner, they, the waves do, uh, they synchronize, they calm down and becomes a more, uh, less tumultuous space. In the introduction, we were talking about, you know, we didn't really define resilience yet, but I know that that's the goal of this particular podcast. So before we go into moving uh, towards that, that sort of self-empowerment, what does that word mean? How can, I, how can I embody resilience? I wanted to talk about something mentioned around the, the, the Black Lives Matter uprising and these intersectionalities that are going on. You're speaking of a point where, yes, in the beginning of COVID, we all went inside. We were told that. We downloaded the apps. We were listening to all the doctors on TV saying, ground yourself, go inside. And it was language a lot of people didn't recognize, but they tried it. There's a lot of new adopters to the idea of grounding and acceptance and surrender. And then there was this explosion when Black Lives Matters happened and people othered again, and they went outside themselves or for them, some of them, they went even deeper in because they were, these are people that have needed to express for so many years. So can you guys speak to 
um, how the external world has impacted people's uh, relationship to this time in terms of the release, the catharsis of communal expression after three months of being in the house and how this might be a, a clever turning point for us on some levels, or, or is it a horrible thing because we've exploded ourselves outwards again? Well, first I wanted to speak to one, one aspect of what you said, and that is um, people were turning more inward and then some, you know, something so, um, so heartbreaking, so enraging, so uh, terrible happened, which kind of laid bare even more than ever uh, the racial inequities that exist in our world, and especially in the time of COVID, uh, how it's so, um, the disparities and how people are impacted because of their race is uh, very profound, especially the, in terms of who gets it, who gets better, who has healthcare, et cetera. But I think also in the world of protest and social justice and activism, that this same split exists, that exists in, in other realms. And so people who are fighting for social change and are so impassioned, and that's so many people now, can also forget about true self-care. And so I, I feel that even though it is an outer important and necessary outer focus, I think people who are fighting for change really external change very hard also need to tend toward them to turn toward themselves and tend to their their states their vulnerabilities their uh, emotions so that they they don't burn out as well so it's another uh, it's another layer of intensity but I think as you you mentioned it's um, it's given people a lot of hope so um, even though it's been another level of stress and heartbreak and tragedy, um, the collective response to it is, is really giving many people a lot of hope, something that maybe was lacking before uh, the explosion and the protest movement and the uprising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which, which I see is, you know, to answer your question, Deborah, about the, you know, the going out again, I, I see it as kind of a weaving back and forth. There's these external societal, cultural experiences that are very real, but they're, they're, they're profoundly related to, um, you know, what, what we're feeling inside and what needed to be tended to collectively inside. Um, and I think it is about, um, there, there's a vast number of inequalities and injustices and and traumas that we carry collectively. So to me, it's it's not like an abandonment of the internal and re-externalized. It's more of um, something coming up from from inside the collective that needs to be expressed and dealt with externally. You know, one of the buzzwords I'm hearing, you know, and this is kind of segueing to the next question I want to bring to to bear here because I know people listening to this, there's a lot of nodding heads. There's a lot of agreement. Uh, about the extraordinary times and about what's gone on uh, in, in recent weeks. Um, uh, but this concept of like, what is radical self-care and, and, and can it, is it just a buzzword or can they really, can, 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 can we really uh, take, a, take a breath with you guys because we have this chance to talk with you um, about the things we 
can lean on um, that will separate us from the the cliche things that we're hearing on Channel Four. And, and I really want to dig into this with you because here's here's our challenge. There's a lot of people that are being prescriptive and they're saying this a lot of the same things and they're saying it on sort of the, the the surface level and the depth that you guys understand the complexities of our like we mentioned the neural plasticity all these things that really are at work at the same time the higher levels at work can both of you speak to the is knowledge the first step in this idea that there's a deeper level of care that people can, can enter into for transformation, because I think most of us know the general self-care ideas, but we but there's not results. There's no results. There's still the anxiety after listening to, to Deepak or whoever. There's still the, the, there's a sense of like, I still don't have a new job, right? Like how can you hold people right now to, and take them to that, to say that being radically careful of you is the next step? Yeah, I feel really strongly about this idea of self-care and how profoundly misunderstood it is in our culture. Um, you know, people think it's like, you know, taking a bubble bath and buying yourself a pair of jeans or whatever that is. And it just isn't that. It's not the behavioral. I feel really strongly that there isn't self-care until you make an internal shift. And in that internal shift is what we started to touch on about this friendliness towards your internal world and when Karen was talking earlier about these emotional states and these waves and these things that come up the very first thing we have to do is we have to develop an attitude towards our emotional life that is curious um, it's accepting and I don't believe we can do that in a vacuum I think that's where these where that connective relationality comes in we by nature developmentally as kids we need parents who understand and can mirror back our emotions develop this basic skill and in our culture a lot of people reach adulthood without ever having received that developmentally and so we're we're learning to create it as adults and, and again we, we don't do that in a vacuum we do it with with friends with support groups with our therapists um, with people that we can genuinely be open with about what we're feeling inside so you're mentioning the ecosystem. This is the first time an entire family is dealing with the same thing and there's different ages. So can you just lean into that a second when you talk about, we might've had bad parenting, but now we're parents. So how do we, how do we make everything, uh, how, do, how do we balance this out in the, in the present tense? Well, the parents can't you know, be there for the kids on that level unless they have it themselves. So you know, take the oxygen masks on the parents, parent needs, if, they, if you don't have those emotional skills, if you do, you have some fuel in the tank and you can provide that to yourself and your children. And hopefully, you know, best case scenario, there's a couple of adults in the house who have those capacities. And if not, that's where you need your community, support groups, your friends, your therapists. Um, those are, we need those places to, because it's in dialogue that we develop that capacity to understand what it is that we're feeling inside and have that compassionate, yeah. accepting response to it. So Karen, it, it, in terms of moving towards that care conversation, you, you know, you've written a book on grief and you know that there is a state of mind that is it, it, not that things are linear, but there's a place that parent mentions where you've got to take care of yourself and, and find out and accept your internal uh, 
struggle and the moment that you're having it and you can't rush things. So if you're a parent and you're really struggling and you're in this place of grief, because lots of stuff has just happened over the past few months, what's the process by which a, a parent can, can take that care, that self-care and, and go through the, 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 maybe it is grief, maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, but how does a parent, I'm not leaning just on parents, but a parent's a good example. So I want to, I want to talk about it for a second, Karen, like how can a parent honor the gravity and also be a leader in the family? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Such a good question. And I, I do think though, um, the, the parent, you know, needs to be held in these feelings. And if, as you're saying, and we're discussing a situation where the parent didn't have, have enough of it themselves developmentally, or even if they had a lot of it developmentally, but current times have stressed their coping uh, capacities beyond the limit, they, they need something themselves now. And, um, so that's, so that's what we're, we're hoping to offer to everyone, parents included. So yes, how can, you know, you, you asked as part of this is not, does knowledge, you know, it's important that we all have some knowledge. So these are not superficial self-care things. So we're not just saying to a mom, you know, you know, those parents said, go take a bath or, you know, pamper yourself or some, some such thing or, even do or not prescriptive do this or do that that's not really you know necessarily helpful not that those things aren't important but they don't it doesn't help very often to just be told to do things so i think one one thing is to share you know um first of all the importance for everyone you know not everyone can get to a therapist and it's wonderful if you can and i i um i think it's amazing work but if you can't do that, and, and we don't have enough therapists for everyone anyway, you know, what, what, are, what are ways that we can all show up for each other? What are ways we can learn, even in the time of Zoom and phone calls only and FaceTime, to, and to know that it's important to hold each other, to listen more than we normally would, you know, to be present and empathetic. So I think that's important to spread that around. And I think people are naturally, I'm seeing doing more and more of that, checking in with friends. As Perrin was saying earlier, people have so much, you know, uh, some people, not all people, depending upon where you are, and that touches on the, our different identities, but some people have more time on their hands. Some people have less time. But whatever uh, situation you're in, everybody is having the need for more attunement, for more empathy, for more compassion. So I think the first part of that, though, is also teaching people how to look within, notice what they're feeling, become aware of it, develop uh, a language for it, and then from there develop ways to kind of um, accompany themselves as well and even to know more what they need so they can even ask for it i know that we're going to wrap the, the podcast with a with a deep exercise that we can we can really stretch out and have, have people see and experience something um before we do that i want to settle into something that i think both of you are sort of implying which is that there there is a collective experience happening and connection is important uh, just to play devil's advocate for a second, 
Um, what are the drawbacks to opening yourself up to somebody um, who might not be able to hold and might be more prescriptive than hold space for? And how do we balance it out? What are the, what are the tools you can give to our listeners to help them not live in isolation, help them break down the, the silos, invite people in, but feeling safe to do that? Because a lot of people, maybe they've never done it before. Did you want to speak to that, Karen? Again, but let me make sure I understand your question. You mean sort of in, in daily life, how can people break through that barrier? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, and, and for people that haven't done it and are more introvert, but they know that part of the the the, the disease of of this part of the disease yeah. that we're in right now is this isolation, this fear, this anxiety, all these new emotions they might have never had, and they have no therapist, and they've got to talk about it. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to you have, to have some place to start. You have to have somebody that you feel is, you know, receptive or understanding or can lend an ear. Um, and if you don't have that, you know, I I really I really feel as as a as a community, as a culture, we need we need groups <laughs> where people can go and do this. Um, so pe people who are or were or could be, you know, any kind of AA group, OA group, those groups. I think are really serving people right now because that is the premise. Um, and so, if, if you know, if you have or have had or could use those, that's a wonderful resource. Groups of people in this basic capacity of learning to share on this emotional level and be vulnerable. Groups are, in in my mind, actually preferable to dyads. So powerful to have a group of people. And, and I really wish as a culture, we would create more of those, whether it's through your church or your, your school, your PTA. Um, so I really encourage people to either, um, I know some people who just every day, they make a point to pick up the phone and call somebody you haven't talked to in a while. And you just ask that person, how are you doing? And some people will go there. Yeah. <laughs> ask somebody else. And when you offer to be there for someone else, that creates this cycle that that yeah. gives back um so it's the picking up the phone and asking the question or if you have the, the means the motivation you know get a group of people together it doesn't have to be formal you don't have to be experts um but just asking people how they're doing giving people a chance to share i i agree with that and i think also um as part of that i think Deborah, you were saying, well, what happens if I do reach out and someone comes back to me, says something prescri prescriptive, and uh, that makes me feel not good and unsafe. So I think two things, and, and what Perrin was saying, if you've picked up the phone and asked someone else, how are you? Number one, you can kind of give what it is you're hoping to get back. So that simple listening, you know, and, and then you can try and work on, um, and we can practice with that here too, um, saying what you need. So if somebody says, well, you know, you know, you should whatever, you know, take the supplement or, you know, meditate, um, you know, you could say, you know what I'm really realizing I want right now. I just want you to say, I get it. You know, I just want to tell a little bit of a, a funny story, not so funny when, um, you know, these are things I think about and work on all the time and empathy and attunement. And when uh, my daughter was in high school, my youngest daughter was in high school and uh, suffering with depression. And 
she would say, mom, I'm so depressed. And, you know, I'd talk about it and I'd listen. And inevitably I would say, well, why don't you get on the treadmill? You know, <laughs> and, um, you know, I said it so many times and it was just so not what she wanted to hear or needed to hear. And I, I knew better. So, you know, we all can go into prescriptive, ways to try to fix people. And it's just about you asking that question right now and bringing it up yeah. and us trying to, you know, evolve in our ability to just, I guess you could call it hold space for other people. Yeah. Know? I think, I think over the course of this podcast, we're going to be really uh, pushing to the, to that place of, of uh, what does transformation mean and how does a person measure it? And when is it about you? And when is it about someone you love? Because we're, we know it's not like, this, these are, again, these are extraordinary times. We're all in this together. So in the same moment you're suffering, your loved ones are suffering, your friends are suffering. So how do we, how do we supply support? How do we support ourselves? And is, it, is that ecosystem uh, natural? And can it heal itself? Or, mm -hmm. or, or must we figure out structure within that system so that we're all taking care of each other? It's, I think it's super unusual and super fascinating, which is why there's never enough conversations like this. And I want to end with uh, something that's tangible. I know both of you have uh, made mention about this idea that you know, we could do something right now on, on this podcast that reminds people that they're in their bodies, that they have a... a um, uh, the capacity in, in any given moment to inquire within and to and to say, okay, where am I right now? And uh, what what would that look like? And and, and again, what, one of the reasons I want to do this right now in the podcast is because, you know, Perrin, if we have one of these groups that's not an official uh, AA group, but we we connect it through PTA or through our church, someone's going to lead that. And the more we give tools like we're about to give and that we'll give across across this podcast, we're going to give people tools period they can they can say oh i did this they did this in this podcast and it made me feel really good so let's do something that we can we can offer uh the, the listeners okay okay so you know as perrin was saying earlier and we've been talking about this idea of inner friendliness toward what is going on in in the internal world and as a necessary uh beginning step for that in order to be friendly toward what's going on in the internal world, we have to connect with and know what's going on in the internal world and, uh, and meet it with that friendliness. So uh, we thought this uh, little breathing exercise uh, um, would be helpful. So if everyone could get comfortable, and I mean really comfortable, you know, and that might mean lying down on your bed, on the floor. It might mean sitting up and putting some pillows around you. And close your eyes if that feels comfortable. Um, again, you want to feel that you're in a position that's where you feel supported. I'll give you a moment to find that. And we're just together going to breathe deep. Just breathe. Breathe, if you can, breathe deeply. Okay. 
And let your breath be what it wants to be here. There's no right way to breathe in this moment. And see if a rhythm begins. See if you can feel the rhythm as you notice your breath going in and going out. And feel your breath allowing you to hold what needs to be held. So imagine your breath is allowing you to hold what needs to be held. And think to yourself, what is asking to be held right now? And whatever that is, just let that be. And you can remember that, maybe you can jot it down in a journal or share it with someone, what came up for you. And right now we're gonna just share with each other, Perrin, Deborah, and I, kind of what was asking to be held right now in that exercise and how that exercise felt. Can I ask you, Deborah, what, what it was like for you? I think it's so powerful to take the moment and to not judge what happens in the transition. And then with your voice, I was able to totally settle in. I did find a rhythm. And then I was open to surrendering to that, like, oh, I'm, I, this is great. I'm just, I'm so relaxed. I, I let go of my shoulders. And then when you asked me to hold something, the way you phrased it was so, I felt like I was nurturing myself I was like, I, I had the capacity to hold something in with my breath. I never had that visual before. And the breath became, it's like sacred bubble. And inside that each bubble was the thing I needed to be held. And it's, a, it's you know, I have had insomnia for quite a while now. And I, I'm, I was holding my sleeping self and I was imagining myself sleeping. So it was a beautiful, it was, I was so cute. I was this little naked being. <laughs> And I was just being held by this little bubble of breath. And it was super helpful to the extent that I was like, I have all the equipment I need. I felt very self-sufficient. I didn't need anything else but my own breath. Mm. So mm. it was, was really wonderful. It's beautiful. Amazing. Should we go, Perrin, would you say what, what it was like for you? Yeah, well, and I just commented, that was just such a beautiful example of you know, you tapping into this, this term we use so much, but resilience, you know, this in your breath, your body's ability to regulate itself when you turn toward it and Karen's friendly voice helping you 
find that friendly attitude and there's this balancing that happens. That's a beautiful example of resilience. I noticed, first of all, I had sort of two different, um, not a literal breath, but very different energies. My, my abdomen felt sort of grounded and the calm, deep breath. And then, but in my head, I noticed this sort of background, sort of busy, frenetic of, of the day and, and the, the different things and balancing and kids and kids' dinner and the schedule of the day, all those things and this sort of frenetic worry about my kids I tuned into it and listened to it like part of my being felt safe and relaxed and the part of me was worried about my kids and and Karen when you prompted about what needs to be held I was really trying to hold my concern for my kids and um, the future and I just really realized in that moment how this pandemic that's just always there and I think that's true for all the parents right now just this uncertain future for our kids and their my kids are young, so it's about their academic, social, emotional development, but, but all the kids at different stages. And, and then that extended to this sort of, you know, right connected to that was the worry about the world and how we're caring for the planet and the, the people who don't have what they need right now. You talk about this. Yeah. You talk about soup. That's like, add that to the soup. All the, the soup was just right there. <laughs> Can't yeah. You take care of yourself. I mean, it's all one thing. The pers- the personal yeah. is the political. It's it's the we're all part of the globe. It's, right. it's there's no time for silos. Absolutely, absolutely, right. Yeah, and so that moment, you know, just sort of highlights how we we all are. Wasn't thinking about that during our conversation, but it was so right there in my body and on my mind, and and so is that exercise of sitting with it and allowing it to be held. I noticed that kind of frenetic energy in my mind and the more calm, grounded energy in my belly started to, to, to equalize. It started to blend a bit. I started to feel more integrated. And you, you can tell me if this isn't the right moment for it, but I'd really like to read this poem. Is that all right? It's a good moment for that. Please write, read a poem. Yes. This is my very favorite poem. And it just, it to me, you know, we're talking about this idea of, um, this inner attitude, this friendliness, and Rumi just nailed it. <laughs> There's nothing better we could say, so I'm going to read his words. He says, just being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Oh, thank you for that. It's such a a beautiful note to, 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 to sort of settle into because I sort of have a wish for the listeners Um, till the next time we speak with you, which is to play the section of uh, the meditative section that uh, Karen just offered us and, and have a group of friends do this with you, whether it's on zoom or Mm -hmm. whatever you do, Mm -hmm. let's do it. And then end with this beautiful guest house poem. And you have become an awesome facilitator, but don't forget to drop into it yourself. But these, you know, if we can get one really tangible tool 
and some wisdom and some connecting in this podcast each time you hear it, we're doing a really good thing um, because it's not swirling around in some amorphous, intangible you know, idea. It's, it's, it's grounding itself into a practice. So uh, Karen and Perrin, I, I just, I, I'm so excited about this. I think you both have uh, such a soft, beautiful, wise vibe, and we need that right now. Um, and I, I hope we can stay messy and stay imperfect and also stay true to our, our, our individual um, desires, because quite frankly, why are we doing this? You know, we're doing this at not just, I don't want to say goodness of our heart. It's, that's such a shallow thing to say. We're doing this because we're called to, we're called to collect with each other and collect wisdom and collect our center and ground with each other. And I hope that uh, emotional survival or emotional resilience, I like the word better, resilience uh, really will, will come into our circle with us and help us feel, feel more held. So mm -hmm. um, in the show notes, you're going to see the um, uh, websites for uh, Dr. Elisha and, and Dr. Post. Uh, you're going to see some information, any kind of links that we want to give you. Um, we're also probably going to start um, something called a Swellcast, where you can actually leave messages so we can hear your voice, which will be really nice. Um, so it's just a great beginning. I just want to thank you guys. You have any ending words, or are you good to go, or any any final breaths with us? No, I think that was a beautiful uh, poem to end on and and exercise. And I'm I'm looking forward to uh, coming together and uh, continuing to to practice together and share important knowledge and uh, uh, figure out together how to get through this. What just a little peek into what we want to do next is sort of uh, provide some of this integrated knowledge that we have about the nervous system and, and sort of explaining how this exercise we did today, how it actually affected your physiology, your body and your mind. You're actually utilizing that mind-body connection. You're utilizing all this science that we've, developed really tells us how our bodies work to, to manage stress and to be resilient or not and how we connect with other people and how our connections can be utilized in that process and so we're going to talk about how these exercises are actually affecting your physiology and how you, just a little bit of knowledge about your nervous system can go a long way in finding our way through this. It's like lifting the hood of your car before you take a drive. Oh, that's how that works. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a carburetor. There's windshield wiper fluid. That's great. Okay, guys. That's wonderful. Listen, everybody, uh, take good care. Thanks, everybody.